Joining me on the phone is a trio of people that were involved in the making of a short film filmed right here in Edmonton. Chrysalida is the name of the short film. And we've got the director and co-writer, Willem Shahal. We've also got producer and co-writer, Catherine Mondragon. And we've got actress Kimberly Philpot on the phone today on Moving Radio. Guys, welcome. Thanks so much for taking out time to talk to us today. No problem. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This is a wonderful opportunity. No, it's a real pleasure. I mean, uh, I, I watched the short film recently because you guys were kind enough to send it to me. And uh, it's, I mean, it was really quite gripping. I mean, you know, I didn't know a ton from the email that I got, but... When I watched it, I was like, wow. I mean, I immediately ended up watching it over again uh, two, three times uh, due to the length and also due to the interest and the layers to it. So without giving away too much to the audience and, you know, more than you guys feel comfortable with, uh, Willem and Catherine, can you guys give the audience a little insight into the roots of the script for the film? Because it's a really deeply personal story as well as how you both collaborated on it. Well, uh, William approached me, Catherine, and um, he asked me if I would help him write a script. Um, I work as a writer at a production company where William is the editor and camera person, and um, but we wanted to do this project um, as our own project, and uh, he told me a story that he had in his mind about a woman who spent um, a decade uh, with a man who had almost killed her, and then she planned for 10 years to leave him. Little by little, I managed to get bits and pieces out of him, which was kind of a difficult process because he's a very visual person, and sometimes I'd be like, okay, let's sit down, and you just tell me what you're thinking, and then I would like get a notepad and a pen, and so it was this kind of very abstract writing process of trying to get everything out of Bill's head. And then I would write stuff down and send it to him, and he would write stuff down and send it back to me. So it was it was a really interesting collaboration. Uh, what about you, Phil? What what do you have to say? There was just a lot of uh, listening in from from other people's stories and, and trying to work that in. I was hoping Catherine to do a bunch of a bulk of the writing. She ended up writing a whole um, page of monologue, it, sort of that an internal monologue that we ended up working in as into a whole scene. You kind of alluded to the fact that it, it is about abuse and we're coming from like one character, specifically their point of view and how they deal with it. So, I mean, because you come from different perspectives of how you've dealt with that situation yourself. You said that you've talked to other people as well. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you have to treat that idea respectfully, right? You know, for not only an audience that is going to take that in, but for an audience that felt that, for the people that you interviewed, right? Talk to us a little bit about the responsibility and how you negotiate to tell that story as best as possible. Well, you're right. The uh, The creation of a story like this is a big responsibility because it's a universal story that can apply to any gender because people can be abused um, or be the abuser and be a man or a woman or other genders. We consulted with... Um, different people. We spoke to different women about their experiences. I wrote quite a bit about my own personal experiences, not with physical violence, but power struggles in relationships. I think everybody's had, you know, that relationship where there's been power struggles. 
I tried to really go into myself and draw upon my own experiences as a woman um, in a relationship where I felt like there was a lot of uh, power struggle and was able to put that into the script. So there's, there's a lot of scenes where the actress is in the kitchen and she's looking at the clock and she knows that her partner's about to come home and she can't move quick enough to get everything done. She knows that any minute now he's gonna burst through that door and she has no idea what's gonna happen that night. And so I, I kind of drew upon some of my own experiences of knowing that somebody was gonna come home who may not be in a good mood or might be angry and carry a lot of that emotional baggage with them. And that would make me feel very tense. And I would be looking at the clock and so I put that right into the story. And so the clock becomes this very central rhythm. It creates a rhythm to the story. And time is very much a central theme in the story. But before I pass this on to Bill, we also spoke to other women. And um, the one woman actually gave us a line. I hope you swallow shards of broken glass. Yeah, hey, you I, say hope you, I hope you swallow shards of broken glass. That line came from somebody who had lost her child, her home, her money. She lost everything to an abusive ex-partner. That was a line that we actually took directly from her words. And after she saw the film, she came to Villa and I and she was like, you know what guys, that was so powerful for me to see those words up on the screen. And seeing Kimberly act as that character was so cathartic for me and it just, it moved her and it was very healing for her to see a woman going through what she had gone through. So that was, that was a wonderful moment. And there was a point where I actually called up um, the cinematographer, Javier Calamaco, who is a friend of Ville's. And I said to Javier, tell me, tell me about who Ville is, is. I'm trying to write his, uh, trying to write a bio about him. And Javier said, Ville is a very unique director and storyteller. He will take something that is traumatic and he will create art out of it. And then he will share that art with others. And in the process, not only heal himself, but heal the people who he is sharing the art with. I was blown away by that and I realized, wow, this film is the kind of creation where by making it, by writing it, well, for me, by acting in it and telling the story, it's healing for us. But then now we're going to be taking it to audiences who have experiences as children or as partners, and they will get an opportunity to go through that powerful healing process by engaging with and watching the film. Well, thanks to Javier for saying that, but I'm not entirely sure how, how true it is for me personally to, to say that. I heal other people. <laughs> There's an understanding in art or any artistic process or anything that's sort of quote-unquote storytelling is that you must have something to say. If you're writing a book, have something to say. If, you, if you're you know, writing a song or whatever, have something to say. I'm not sure how much I can follow that because for one, I haven't lived many years. I don't know enough to be able to tell people for one, how to, how to live their life or um, what to do. <laughs> so I see it more as, as a process of understanding 
the things that are happening um, around me. So it's not really telling people what to do with their lives, saying, you know, if you're in a bad relationship, get out. It's a bit of a silly thing to say because I don't fully understand this and how complicated it can be. The process was really just listening to the people around me and me trying to make a sense of it. I'm trying to understand it myself because I think that's a little bit more fair to the process, to the people who worked on it. I think I just want to add to that, that what Vil did was he had this concept. He knew it was a story about a woman and he came to women, like I'm, you know, twice Vil's age. He came to women who were older and experienced and had gone through life, life's uh, challenges and said, hey, I have this story can you help me write it from the women's perspective? Which I thought was amazing. And I'm really impressed that he did that because I think it would be a different kind of story if he had written it himself. Don't you, Kimberly? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're speaking on the phone today with Willem Shahal, who's the director and co-writer, Catherine Mondragon, the producer and co-writer, and Kimberly Philpot, the actress in the short film Chrysalida. Kimberly, we haven't really talked to you yet, so why don't we kind of focus on you a little bit? Because, I mean, as much as, you know, Willem and Catherine are going through the writing process for something like this, you know, you're the one that has to kind of embody it on screen. You know, you have a master's in psychology as well as being an actor. And maybe can you talk about how, you know, one, like those two different roles in your life inform the other in a performance like this, as well as how you negotiate the emotional depths of having to play a character like this who's going through their own kind of psychological torment. You know, I just want to say thank you, you know, publicly to Catherine and to Bill for including me in this project. And I mean, obviously the content is, is huge. And, you know, like Catherine said, the sense of responsibility about telling the story. But but also, too, you know, uh, you know, from my psychology background, knowing that there's so many different layers to this scenario that it really does require looking at it in a number of different ways and, and over and over again. And I guess the psychology of it, for me, just really complemented sort of my own experiences. I also did some talking to some women that have had, you know, lots of abuse in their life and try to understand sort of like what was their inner thought, what was their inner monologue, and to try to really get a handle on what other people had gone through as well. So I had some of that filtering through my brain, but also, you know, I got to say, like, just the seriousness or or the commitment and dedication that of the crew and, and of Bill and Catherine to getting the story right just really made it a lot easier to dive in and just feel like I was working in a really safe environment so I could touch on some really dark things. And if I screamed or whatever, and you know, I wasn't going to feel silly. Like I, I just felt like any person who could identify with this story, man or woman, I owed it to them to be as completely authentic as I possibly could. Yeah. In, in something like that, Kimberly, did you also find that there's some residue sometimes of having to portray something like that? You've talked to other women, you've had relationships with other people that have maybe been in those situations that you had to kind of like work through after that? Because, you know, you can't just simply punch the clock and then go home. There, there has to be some kind of decompression for yourself, too. Do you find that is, is a challenging thing to do? but also kind of made that in some ways more worthwhile for you and that you had to get to that headspace. 
I don't know about you, but you could really see that at one point in the film where the camera goes into her face. It's when when you say, I've been stuck inside that dark place. Mm -hmm. Which which line is that? And then the camera goes into her face and it was like, wow. Like her face was almost like shaking Mm. in... Yeah, I tried to really... anger. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And anger comes really... And I think there's a lot of anger that infuses the situation, obviously, you know, not from just necessarily the person who's inflicting it, but, you know, frustration and anger with, within yourself about the situation and, and how it's making you feel and how, you know, what you've become and all of those things and how trapped you are, you know? So I, I anger gets me there, so that's the route that I took. Yeah, and I think what's truly going to make this film work for the audience, I mean, beyond performance and the writing and the directing, is that, you know, you essentially submerge the audience in the state of mind of a person who is being abused through the sound design. And I think, you know, what what was great about that, too, is it it doesn't rely on, you know, the physicality of what happens. When we hear this abuse, but it's always from the point of view of the woman and and the, and the victim. And that's what I think makes it really powerful. So Willem and Catherine, what was the collaboration with your sound designer, Matthew Golden, like? And what kind of discussions did you have to find the right tone for this short film to kind of give the the power, I guess, to, you know, the main character that has been abused? The greatest thing, I guess, one can ask for while working on a film, because it's such a collaborative thing, is to have a cast and crew who take a stem of an idea and just really run with it. Everybody, everybody involved with the film did that. I didn't find myself directing all that much, except for every now and again, just making sure nobody strays too far um, out of context. Uh, but everyone tried their honest best to understand it and treat it with, with, with the delicacy that it needed. Especially with Matthew, he, I sort of pride myself on knowing a little bit about everything um, that goes on into the working of a film. But the one thing I don't know enough about or that I would like to know more about is sound design. Talking to Matthew, he, he, I was learning as much from him as he was going, to, going doing it. Um, I had some ideas, but uh, the only direction, quote unquote, I gave him was to not make it sad because these, the subject matter by default is sad and it will eventually end up being that anyways to some extent. So our reasoning was that if we try to make it even more sad, then it goes into the predictable area and it, it's not going to be all that good. Uh, he just did everything to not make it sad and it beca- ended up becoming very, you know, as, as we peel the, the layers, it, you know, it reveals that it's, it's more angry and there's a lot of frustration and trauma and all that, you know, it, it comes out of as shouts. Um, and that's what the sound design sort of is at some point it's uh it's actually you know it would be punches and and screams and and whatnot um and it, it illustrates the violence that that that's happened over the years not just not just in that one scene it's it's years and years and years of abuse actually nearly all of it is is matthew's ideas and and his and his work i just sort of Every time he would just show it to me, I would just have a stupid grin on my face and would say, okay, yeah, that's cool, let's run with it. And that was, that was it. You know, that's the thing about working with ridiculously talented people is all you really have to do is point them in a general direction and then 
trust you've hired or you've worked you're working with the correct people and then whatever they will give you will be true to the work it might not be exactly how, how I would want it or whatever who would want it or there would be um, disagreements whatever but regardless of whatever it is it would always be true to the actual work and that's that's a lot, lot more important than surfing my own vanity or whatever um, saying you know no no I'm the director I want it this way uh, that's a little bit ridiculous it was really nice just to see not just Matthew again but but everybody um, even with the VFX there's a little bit of VFX going on in there and even with Kimberly even with Kate um, even with you know Catherine it, it, it was all just sort of trusting them to do their best and trusting in them to just sort of being being true to the work so we were I just want to say real fast uh, that we were extremely lucky to get Matthew and uh, he is the geek of all sound geeks he would start talking about characters in Greek mythology and the Little Mermaid and Cassandra and like he would just go so deeply into the archetypal journeys of characters and then you know ask our opinion and say does this sound have like this Cassandra like feeling or does this remind you of you know the Little Mermaid or whatever it was because um, the Little Mermaid has to walk around yeah. in pain all the time mm -hmm. right she's wearing these extremely like she she's wearing feet yeah. instead of a yeah. tail and every step she takes feels like knives right which is kind of symbolized yeah totally it's I think he got that from seeing you walk around in those very high heels because mm -hmm. they looked kind of uncomfortable. They were so uncomfortable. Even yeah. though you totally rocked them. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, so we just loved Matthew's geekiness and how he he just delved so deep and took sound production, um, post-sound production, to a whole new level that is artistic. And he actually composed um, the music for the end of the film. And his wife sang, like she used her voice. So there's kind of this beautiful piece at the end that was composed and created by Matthew and his wife, who um, Matthew Golden is actually from Edmonton. Uh, he went to Victoria School of the Arts. He actually ended up living in Mexico for the last 10 years and um, married uh, a lady from Mexico. And they just got back here the day before the borders closed because of COVID. Oh, no. So we were just so lucky to have met him and to be working with him. We feel very privileged. Sort of one of the things that sort of separates a film from amateurism and professionalism is the quality of production design and sound design. Because when we were learning films a few years back before we knew anything, it was oh, well, it just, it's just actors in front of a camera, and that's pretty much it, without really understanding production design or sound design. So sound design is 50% is of the film, and Matthew understands it. It was really important for him to live with it and, and learn it and understand it. Whatever he did, it was, it was well worth it. I wouldn't say anything against it, because, but he proved me very wrong when uh, initially I was, I was very hesitant on keeping the ending without any sort of sound it was like okay no it's it has to you can't put anything there it, it just has to be dead silence but then he was like okay let me let me compose something let me put a song there and see how that goes and he did and it was amazing and then i shut up and then i never argued with him again and that was it that was 
yeah, so it was really nice. We're talking on the phone today with uh, three people behind the short film, Chrysalida. It was locally shot and produced. We have on the phone today Willem Shahal, the director, co-writer, Catherine Mondragon, the producer, co-writer, and Kimberly Philpot, who stars in the film. You know, even though we never see this woman's abusive husband beyond glimpses of him, you know, the specter of the character hangs over the entire film. You discuss how you wanted to approach this character of the husband, uh, Willem and Catherine, as well as what it was like to play against that character, who was portrayed by uh, Kate Neal, when a lot of this is just ending up being sense memory for your character, Kimberly. Yeah, um, it, it was definitely unique, um, but at the same time, it was eerily familiar. You know, I think everybody can relate to that chatter, that voice, that, that thing that's always there, but kind of just out of your periphery a little bit. And, and basically, Kate, you know, did that. Um, and, and Kate was awesome. Like, I, I think it was like one of his first acting roles um he was like i'm fully in this and we were doing this and like and you know he uh he wanted to rehearse and so we rehearsed some things and he even though he knew that he wasn't going to be on screen he he emoted everything that he could give to me which was awesome because obviously i was looking at him for some shots anyways so that was really really helpful but again yeah i think everybody can relate to you know hearing of a little voice that's on your shoulder so that was that was kind of interesting to experience on a film. The initial idea for this was to do a dialogue piece, just because I never really actually directed any any dialogue, but also not to do it in a way that we are used to seeing. And I guess you can sort of go home and, and sort of turn on nearly any movie, and if there's people talking on screen, you're going to see a bunch of talking heads, you know, in a, in a close-up or in a medium or whatever, uh, or an over-the-shoulder kind of thing. A lot of it stemmed from just not trying to do it in a way that's that's so recognizable and so already done anyways, um, and have it be a lot more poetic and but more symbolic. I think sometimes I get irked when people say it's experimental film without really uh, understanding what experimental would be, because I think the, the mind immediately goes to sort of like a Salvador Dali kind of thing, where it's just a bunch of pictures just sort of thrown together and and hoping to dear God it makes some sort of sense to somebody. But I think with short film, there's a, there's a beautiful safety net of just sort of trying out different, different ideas, not really knowing whether they would work or not. Um, and that's one of the things with, it wasn't intentional to not have him be on camera that way. Um, he is on camera, we see a lot of feet, just because I think feet are very suspenseful. <laughs> uh, you know, the way you track them walking around the, around the room and all that. And there's a lot of, uh, the camera works is a lot, in a way it's from the POV of a child kind of thing, so it's always a little bit low. It's always sort of falling, kind of like your, your parents walking around the room, looking through corridors and whatnot, and there's a little bit of a distance. So there's always these sort of things that we, that we always try to, to do in an experimental way. And it just means that we don't know if it's going to work or not. And it's all fair and it's all fun. And if it do, if it works, it's great. If it doesn't, then well, we can always go shoot another film. So no, <laughs> we're not we're not really losing much. And it's just it's practice and it's fun. And I think it allowed um, both the actors to really sort of play a little bit more rather than have them because the, the way it was written, we could have easily just done this with two of them sitting in around a table around a dinner table. You know that would be it. 
but we didn't want to do that. So we wanted to play around with the typography of the room and present it as a maze or something. Yeah, we, we just really ran with, with the freedom that we were allowed when working in, in a short film. I had a friend who stayed in the, a bed and breakfast in Edmonton. That was the minute I walked into that bed and breakfast, I went to check it out for the person that was coming. I just fell in love with it. And it was this beautiful old house that yeah. you'll see in the film. And the house itself is a gorgeous character. We just want to give a shout out to Heritage House, Heritage house Bed and yeah. Breakfast for giving us a whole day, a whole weekend of their lives, including their kitchen, to allow us to shoot the film. And um, they were so wonderful and supportive in allowing us to take over. Um, the Heritage House used to be the mayor of Edmonton's house. Yeah. And it's so large. It's actually still a bed and breakfast, but there's also community people that live there. I know when people see the film, they'll they'll fall in love with the, oh. the beauty of the house and yeah. the stairs that creak and the wooden floors and the gorgeous and wooden panels. And the hidden panels. stairs? I just love that they have hidden stairs. and. So shooting at the Heritage House was also a wonderful experience just to be in that beautiful place. The lady that runs it was very supportive because she herself is an artist. Mm -hmm. And I just want to quickly point out, you know, as well as everybody else does in film, that Alberta's really suffered under recent budget cuts. The funding has been slashed. Artists have basically lost funding that they were relying on and expecting. So we didn't even go the funding route because it's very difficult to get funding right now. We were able to uh, put a little bit of money together to pay um, a few essential people. Everybody else who worked on the film did it out of the goodness of kindness of their heart and because they wanted to help us. This, this film is, as Francois Truffaut said in his manifesto, this film is made out of love because that's what people did. They gave their love to making this film. Most, most people gave it for free. So when we have our screening at the Grindstone Theater, which is gonna be on the 10th of July, we wrote to everybody and said, come and see your film. Yeah. Because yeah. all of you put effort into making this film. It's not Ville's film, it's not Catherine's film, it's your film. You know, you kind of allude to the fact that you're going to have a screening, a small one, for some of the people involved with the film who worked on it. But I, like you kind of alluded to before, it's it's a weird time to be able to have to find an audience for a film that's about anything at this point in time. So what's kind of like the next step for you guys? I, I assume that probably, you know, a festival circuit, whatever that looks like, whether it's online or in person, as we're starting to see happens i think the the film is too important to not be able to find an audience like as you alluded to before so what are kind of the next steps for you as you kind of try to expose chrysalita to a wider audience bill's invested all of his own personal funding into this film and he applied he and i applied to about 20 different festivals our dream is to show this film at the Edmonton International Film Festival. That's what, if we only get into that festival, we'll be so happy. So we're doing the festival circuit first because we'd like to get a premiere at, at a festival. And, and then after that, we would definitely want to get this film out to people who need it and 
just um, have screenings and um, maybe even develop, uh, you know, a talk around abuse and uh, family violence. And I have a feeling that there will be people who will be able to, will be interested in doing that. Mm. Um, because it is, it is a film with a message. And it, it, it's a message that needs to be deconstructed. Just like you see films about uh, residential schools, they often get accompanied um, by a presentation to help people deconstruct that history. Um, we're looking at a film that is trying to show and reveal something within the mind of a victim that's not always revealed on the screen. I think with COVID keeping so many people home, um, there's been a rise in uh, domestic violence. There's been, unfortunately, a rise in suicides from women who, or people who are stuck at home with their abuser. And so sometimes during a time like this, where the whole world is in a state of uh, pandemic, all of those disruptions, kind of uh, family dysfunctions, become even more exaggerated. We're sending a message out there and we'll do it on social media, on the internet, on YouTube, however we can get it out there. We're sending a message out there to women saying, and women and men um, who experience violence and children, you're not alone. We understand you. We get what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Until now, I hadn't really done anything that I would want to show to other people. <laughs> not that it was bad, but it was, it was never designed for, with that intention. It was just me going, okay, well, I'm just sort of doing it for practice and eventually I'll do something later on that would go to people. But this, I hope, really finds an audience and we'll, we'll try our best to, to show it to people because it's uh, domestic violence, it's, it's a weird thing because it's, it's still a stigma in the Western world and people still don't really want to talk about it. At least what I learned is, is that it's a mental trauma as much as it is a physical, physical one. For the victims, I, I would think it would, it's, it's very difficult to understand that first because there's all sorts of weird reasoning and rationalizing um, about it. I hope somebody would see it, and, and if they can get something out of it, that's great. But like I said I'm not, I'm earlier, I'm not really trying to tell people how to live their lives or what to do with their lives or how to handle their personal lives, because I don't know. But if somebody can take a second to sort of understand either their lives or, or their parents or somebody else's, I don't know. That would be mission accomplished, I guess. There's, um, I don't know if you remember the Dogma film, The Celebration, by Lars von Trier, I think, made that one, where this family is having a big dinner and the son gets up in front of a hundred people and he makes a toast to his father and accuses his father of molesting him and his twin sister. And his brothers and friends take him out and tie him to a tree at one point to keep him away from this sad dinner at, at the family's hotel. But he breaks free and comes back and confronts his father again and again until finally um, a suicide note from his twin sister is found and revealed. And then the father is asked to leave the dinner that was supposed to be for his birthday. I kind of see this film as having that same kind of power to be able to help people to understand, but also catharsis. I think that people who have been abused 
or children that have witnessed abuse, they need catharsis. And that's the power of story in Greek tragedy. Um, the Greeks would have, you know, before film was invented, they would, they would stage plays to be able to work out some of that psychological drama to be able to create that sense of catharsis and be able to confront that darkness that we have within humanity. It's interesting because Ville is very much into philosophy and Greek. Ville is very much into Greek classical philosophy. He's, he's also a painter, he sculpts, um, he reads. He's very multi-talented in so many different ways. And uh, I, I see this as being kind of a short Greek tragic drama in a way that could have been performed mm -hmm. at that time to achieve catharsis. The film that we're talking about today is Chrysalida. And on the phone, we've had Willem Shahal, the director and co-writer, Catherine Mondragon, the producer and co-writer, and Kimberly Philpott, who also stars in the film. Uh, it's an incredibly powerful short film about abuse. It's hopefully going to be screening maybe at Edmonton International Film Festival, if they're listening, at other festivals, I'm sure, in the fall as they kind of carry on. All three of you, thank you so much for being on the phone today. In seeing the film myself, uh, I found it to be incredibly powerful. I can't wait for you guys to see it with an audience because I think that it's going to resonate on levels that you know you hoped for and probably even go beyond that as well. So congratulations to all three of you and everyone else involved with it. And I'm sure uh, when you sit down at the Grindstone Theater, it's the energy is going to be palatable about how important this film is and how everybody's going to be incredibly proud of what they did.